please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18 has been a focus of our study over these last few weeks and months. We are actually making our way through this letter, but we come to a crucial part. Based on the fact that we are here to tell our sister, we will see you later. I couldn't think of a better text to teach than the contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. Because it is the new covenant in all of its glory that allows us to sit today with such confidence to know we will see her shortly. Shortly. I mean, if you really look at, at an eternal timeline and you were to live to be 150 years old, how much space does it take up on an eternal timeline? And if you make it to 150, I'll pray for you. <laughs> so there we will pray and then we will read God's word and pick it up again father we come again with joy in our hearts yes father we have the sadness of, of a sister who has gone before us and yet father we have the joy in our hearts to hear what our brother Paul gives us through the ages of a righteousness not of our own but a right standing before a holy perfect God comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for such a gift, for such a precious, precious gift. Father, give us ears to hear this day. Give us eyes to see this day. Father, may our souls and our hearts leap with joy of the wonder of wonders of this text. And Father, may we, who are called by your names, bow our knee in humble adoration. Father, with the joy of our salvation, and the wonder that you have allowed our lives to cross. You have allowed our lives to be among each other. To walk with each other. To cry with each other. And yes, Father, even to laugh and rejoice with each other. Thank you for this day. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, and for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. What we have here is a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. What typically happens in churches, it started here in Corinth, it did it happen in Galatia, it was happening in the Romans, it happened in Philippi, it happened in Ephesus. Need I go on? What you have begun in the Spirit, you are now perfecting in the flesh. We will have a tendency to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Our sins confront us, and we realize that we are in desperate need of a Savior. We come to that Savior, and then we become religious. And what the Apostle Paul is telling you and I today, that those who are saved are not religious. The word of the Lord has been written in their hearts. Jeremiah prophesied that this would happen. That the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our soul, and we become one with Christ. We are clothed in His righteousness, and we are quote-unquote saved. And he contrasts the old covenant, which if you go look at it, and you look at the Mosaic law, it breaks into three parts. You have the civil law that says Israel is different from the rest of the nations. You have the moral law that you and I call the Ten Commandments. And then you have the ceremonial law that has the sacrificial system, the Levitical priesthood, and all the rest of it. Well, let me tell you something. At Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, Israel no longer exists as a separate entity. You have Israel, Gentiles, and the church. Okay? The ceremonial law. Why do we need sacrifices? Why do we need a priesthood? It has all been done away with. The one thing that still stands is what? The moral law. Why? It is through the moral law that lost man sees the righteousness of God and pounds on his chest and says, Oh, Evil sinner that I am, have mercy and grace on me. It's one of the things that I see that is lacking in the church today in America. It's not there. I know people who say they're saved and they don't even know what they were saved from. That's amazing to me. And yet I look at this new covenant as the Apostle Paul says, and he says the old covenant, it had glory. Absolutely. It shows the righteousness of God. We just sang, holy, holy, holy. You know what? I am convinced that the bulk of Christendom has no idea what they're even saying. He is completely set apart from us. He is perfect, sinless perfection. He is so radiant that it comes in a manifestation of light that normal humans cannot look at it without dying. That is the holiness of God. We've missed that today. God is our buddy. No, God is our creator. God is our sustainer. God is the one who said they must be redeemed. And that's what the new covenant, the new covenant comes with the promise of salvation. The old covenant says you can't be saved. You have no ability by the flesh. No one will be saved. Can't do it. You can't achieve salvation. I don't care. 
I don't care who you are. You know what? And, and, and when I look at this, the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Covenant is amazing in its glory because it commands righteousness. And it doesn't say, here, make a level of righteousness you can attain. It says, this is your righteous God. He's up here. Can you attain that? And at some point, it crushes us. He's already said here in verse 7 and in verse 9, one, the old covenant is a ministry of death. It kills us. Well, I look at it and I think, I'm condemned. He says here in verse 9, it is a ministry of condemnation. It condemns you. God says, you must be here, right standing before me, to be saved. Here's the standard of righteousness. How you doing? And I think one of the tragedies that I have witnessed in the church is we've lost that. We've lost that. I, I, how can we have polls that say 80% of Americans are Christians? Really? I heard where a youth group of Christians in Nigeria attacked a car full of Muslims coming back and killed 11. Christian youth are the ones who did it. Really? I'm thinking maybe they're deceived. That's the kind of stuff that you see and hear all the time. I look around at our society today. Look at it. I'm a Christian. Really, why are you living like the devil? And you read verse 18 here. It says, but we all, speaking of the Christians, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, what? The glory of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. When you got up this morning, you seen it was snowing. Did you look in the mirror and see the glory of the Lord? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? He says here, the old covenant commands righteousness. But the new covenant is better because it gives righteousness. See, the old covenant made a person a hearer of truth. Okay, if you go look at the, just look at the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's all truth. None of that has changed. Okay, it hasn't been modified. And you know what? I like Jesus. Jesus says, you know what? I'm not sure you guys can handle all 10 of them. So I'll break it down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Of course, then the great debate comes up. Who's your neighbor? That's easy. Anybody that ain't you. All right. It's simple. All right. I can even make it simpler than that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just do that. Okay, because if you're doing that, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, but see, what happens to you and I is that, do you struggle with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's why we come to the throne of God and say, please clothe us in the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ loved the Lord, his father, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what the new covenant. The, the old covenant makes people a hearer 
of truth. The new covenant makes a person a doer of that truth. The old covenant never intended to save. It was inferior. It is obsolete, the writer of Hebrews says. It was non-saving. It was only condemning. An old covenant saint, Malachi, Nehemiah, go down the list, were saved by grace through faith because the old covenant crushed them. They said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I mean, you take Isaiah and he says, my most righteous deeds are as filthy garments. And you want an interesting study? Go check out what the Hebrew is saying of filthy garments. Because he says, the best I can do is like minstrel cloth. That's Isaiah. I can't hold the candle to Isaiah. I don't want to. When the moral law came, it was a killer. But in its condemnation, in its ministry of death, it became a path of blessing. It took you, it drove you to the mercy seat. Verse 9, if you look at that in, in your text there, he says, The ministry of common, if for if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. We've already looked at it and seen that the new covenant in its glory gives life. But the new covenant in its glory gives righteousness. Righteousness is right standing before a holy, perfect God. Basically, what they call this in the original text is an argument from the less to the greater. If the ministry of condemnation had glory with it, it was a killer. Much more abounding is the new covenant in righteousness, the ministry of judgment, the ministry of doom, the ministry of damnation, the ministry of condemnation. The old covenant made people vulnerable to judgment. They showed us who the old covenant shows us who God is and that we need a savior. It brought sinners to a state of condemnation and yet it failed to produce any escape. There was no means to satisfy divine judgment. The old covenant had its glory. Now, if a deadly, killing, damning, dooming covenant had glory, much more a ministry of righteousness. Do you do we get that? That ought to make you just want to jump up and shout. I stand now right standing before a holy, perfect God. And it was not by me, it was by Christ and the work at the cross. And now, Colossians, Paul told the church in Colossae, you are now clothed in Christ's righteousness. Much more is the ministry of righteousness. And, and, and when he starts this out, he says, you are servants of what? You are ministers of what? A new covenant, a better covenant, a glorious covenant, a 
covenant that is so powerful that it makes the old covenant obsolete. The law could never provide right standing before God. Couldn't do it. You can't go back through any of the Mosaic writings and find anywhere in there doing any of those things will save you. And yet salvation was there. But it was by God's grace through faith when the sinner said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Have mercy on me. The power of the new covenant was so powerful that even before the cross, those who believed were saved knowing the work that was coming. That's amazing. Letter to the Romans. Chapter uh, 3, 20 and 21. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Okay. The law says this is sin before God. All right. 21 says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. All right. The law exposed us as sinners. And yet the law says here. Here's the standard. Oh, by the way, here's Christ. He meets the standard. It bears testimony. That is the glory of the law. But yet it is Christ that the vehicle of salvation is presented to all who believe. See, the old breaks us, crushes us. And it is through faith we come to salvation. It is for all who believe. Now, listen, when you talk about belief, I'm not talking about just saying, hey, I believe. I celebrate Easter every year. You know, I get the little eggs and the chocolate rabbits and everything. I'm in it. Okay? That ain't it. That ain't it. He ain't in the tomb. I've been to the tomb. He ain't there. And let me tell you something. If he was there, they would have a huge monument or something. Because they got a monument or a church everywhere for everything. I never seen anything like it. But again, it is all externals. And he's not there. The law could never provide right standing that came through Christ Jesus. And it is the new covenant that you and I who are saved this day are ministers of. We are servants of. I, I, I look at the church today with heartache because... It's like going to Disneyland. It is this production. And you know what? It don't save. I don't care what the external side of it is. It doesn't save. I don't care what ritual. I don't care what ceremony. I don't care what symbolism you deal with. It does not save. The new covenant saves. The confronting of sin and calling it sin. It's not an addiction. It's sin. 
And, and we're, we've gotten away from that. It's like, well, I don't think he's a sinner. I think he's just morally challenged. No, he's a sinner. Well, that is extraordinarily mean-spirited to say that. Probably, but the alternative is condemning them to hell. And then when they get to hell, they'll say, well, that was really mean he didn't call me a sinner. See, one of the amazing things that I see, when I read that verse 18, we with unveiled face beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord. When I think about the new covenant, the new covenant changes God's view of the sinner. And upon changing God's view of the sinner, it changes God's attitude towards the sinner. The sinner now looks like an heir, an adopted child of the family of God. God sees the sinner clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the garment of righteousness Isaiah speaks of. That's amazing. Clothed in Christ. Christ holiness. Okay? Christ sinless perfection has been imputed to the sinner's account. It's sort of like if you had a bank account and Bill Gates decided to put all his money in your bank account. I know. Close that account quickly. <laughs> Casey finds out. Right? But everything that Christ is has been imputed to the sinner's account. Do you understand that? It isn't a process of direct deposits. It is a one-time transaction that is the completeness of Christ. When Christ hung on the cross and said, Tetelios, He means it is finished. It is complete. It lacks nothing. And that's what you and I are. Now, you may not act like it. You may not even believe that. But I bet you, you will. That's amazing. That's the new covenant. Why would I want ritualism? Why would I want symbolism? Why would I want sacrimonies and ceremonies and all of this other stuff that I see everywhere? When I can think that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed into my very soul. It's already there. It's already there. Let me give you an illustration of this. One of the best illustrations that I have ever stumbled into comes out of the letter to the Philippians chapter 3. See, Paul understood the old covenant. Okay? Paul lived under the old covenant. Paul lived under the ministry of death. Paul lived under the ministry of condemnation. He understood it. He was intimate with it. He understood these things. And anybody proclaiming the old covenant as a means of salvation, Paul understood was an enemy of the gospel. Do you understand that? Do you understand it's not somebody who's just sort of deceived? Or they're just an error? Paul calls them dogs. 
Look at verse 2, chapter 3. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of what? False circumcisions. Do you understand what he means by dogs? At the writing of the New Testament, do you know what a, a dog was not a pet? A dog ran from garbage dump to garbage dump and was a scavenger. That's what they did. Peter refers to him as a dog returns to its vomit. That's the terminology that's being used here. We're not talking about somebody, well, you know, he's just a little wrong. A little wrong? Just a little wrong? Let me tell you something about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. A little wrong in the Old Covenant damns people. Do you understand that? But I was just a little wrong. That's like sort of, I'm just going to hell for a little while. No, you ain't. You're going for eternity. They are evil workers. The dogs eat the garbage. And those who preach the old covenant as a means of salvation or a works of salvation. There is a great denomination this day that says the external are works of salvation. That is not true. It is not true. The ceremonies, the priesthood, all of that stuff is not true. It's dogs. I didn't say it. Paul said it. All right? Because Paul came out of it. Look at Paul. He was under the old covenant. He wasn't not only under the old covenant. He was what I call a letterist. Is that such a word? Is now. Why? Go back to your text in 2 Corinthians 3. Why? It is the letter that kills. And he was a letterist. He is one of those who would take his mustard seeds. And if he had 10 of them, he'd give one to God. That's what Paul did. Look at verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. What does the old covenant say? It's external. It's rituals. It's ceremonies. It's sacraments. And all it does is give you pictures. And I see people in the body of Christ today who want to live in pictures. Look what he says in verse 4. Now, remember, that's kind of tough. You walk up to somebody, you know what? I believe you're following the teachings of a dog. I believe that you are, you know, hanging out with evil workers. I would even classify these people as false circumcision. Okay? I'm all you're going to win friends there. But look what he says. Verse 4. Although I myself might have Confidence, even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I will stack up all of my fleshly achievements with anybody, Paul says. Stack them up. I'll put mine up against the best of them. 
If we are going to get saved by the flesh, Paul says, by deeds of the law, Paul says, by human effort, by ceremony, by ritual, by routine and all that stuff, I will put my credentials against anybody's. Stack them up. Stack them up. He says, I'll tell you what. Let's make a short list of them. See how you come out. Look what he says. I was circumcised on the eighth day. See, I was on the right course for my parents. Eight days in, man. Just like the law says. I'll stack them up. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Look what he says. I, I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. Look, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Do you know Benjamin is considered the most noblest of the two remaining faithful tribes? Yet Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom. And Judah is one who took off down the road to follow Israel. And Benjamin hung tight. But Benjamin being the youngest and the smallest, guess what? Ended up stumbling too and got captured just like Judah did. But he says, I am of Benjamin. I am a Benjamin. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know what that is? I have never violated the Jewish traditions. That's what he's saying. Hebrew of Hebrews. What you would call them today, Orthodox Hasidic Jews. I don't know if you'll run into any of them in Colorado. Uh, I have seen them in Jerusalem. Uh, and you can, you can just... You can just spot them. Okay, here's the reason that you can spot them. If you look at me and I'm standing in Israel, do I look like a Jew or a Gentile? Okay, they believe that if they touch a Gentile, they are defiled. The Orthodox Hasidic. And I mean, they got some weird things with the curls and and weird stuff like that. But a lot of them carry machine guns and I'm not making fun of them. Okay. But they will knock people over to get out of the way for even brushing up against me. It's kind of fun, but like I said, they do carry machine guns. All right. That's what you would see today. They never compromise their tradition and it is to the letter. That's where I get my word letterist. As far as the law. He says, when it comes to the law, read your text there. As to the law, what? A Pharisee. Okay, now, at the time of the writing of this letter, there's probably 6,000 Pharisees on the planet Earth. That's not really a large number. But when you look at that, they were fanatical. They had become bizarre in the trivia of the law. I've seen volumes of paper written on what does it mean to lift a load on the Sabbath? And they had come to the conclusion. I don't understand why they wrote over 300 pages on what does that mean? And they concluded that anything over a fig leaf was a load on the Sabbath. So you couldn't lift anything more than a fig leaf. On the Sabbath, I remember working on a house up in Evergreen of a Jewish man, and he wanted push um, switches in the floor because if he flipped a switch on the Sabbath, that was classified as a load, and he was breaking the Sabbath. So he had switches on the bottoms of the steps when he wanted to go up steps or into a room. He'd step on a 
panel and the lights could come on and therefore he wasn't lifting a load. That's a letterist. That's a person who says, I love my God. I'm keeping his Sabbath holy and I ain't lifting nothing. Anybody who violated anything in that covenant, he goes on, Paul says. And and when I think about the Pharisees, I think about they chose to to be deeply under the letter of the mosaic as deep as they could possibly humanly do it. And anybody who violated any of these, anyone ever came along saying there was anything better than the old covenant. Look what the Apostle Paul says to the law as a Pharisee. Verse 6 says, and as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. What does the church say? Old covenant's obsolete. So therefore, I'll persecute you. You dare say that. He said, I persecuted those who would come against the old covenant. That would be the church. This man says, as to righteousness, which is in the law, what does he say? Found blameless. He says, I'll stack works and external religion against anybody. Anybody. He says, as far as I can tell, my achievement, I was without blame. Everything I could do according to the law, I did it. And I couldn't be blamed for anything. That is a letterist. I see him today. They're the ones in the church are going like this. You've seen him grouchy. Why? I'm going to do this if it kills me. Well, fine, as long as it don't kill me. But isn't it true? You see them? They're everywhere. They are a pain. Here's this old covenant guy. He's not saved. Please make this clear. He is not saved. And he was counting on his abilities. And yet the law eventually killed him. It crushed him. It said it showed him as a coveter. Somewhere along the Damascus road, he saw himself for what he was and the reality of the law. And when it happened, verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, all of this blameless before the law, all of this, a persecutor of the church, all of this as to the law of Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, nation of Israel, circumcised on the eighth day. You put all of that together. Those things I have counted lost for the sake of Christ. All that that I had gained. That was my salvation. You ever tried to witness to some of these people who come out of religious backgrounds? Hoofda. Why? They have years and years and years of basing their salvation on this. And all of a sudden you tell them they're wrong. You'll make friends. And yet it is our obligation to say, I don't think that's right. I said in pastor's prayer luncheons and breakfasts and things like that, and they know me now well enough that they quit inviting me. No, um, that I will look at them and say, where is that in the Bible? 
They come up with all these plans. Paul says, I saw Christ and immediately I counted all that I had lost. I counted my salvation as lost that I had been achieving. I counted all of my righteousness by the law as lost because of the person of Christ. Verse 8 says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so I may gain Christ. More than that, He says, the single most important thing in my existence is knowing Christ. And you can take that old covenant and put it in the garbage pile. See, he does not depreciate God's moral law. But he's looking at the old covenant as a means of salvation. He says, I can't do it. Christ is the only means of salvation. Listen, if you think about this, what he's trying to tell you and I, and he's telling the Philippians here, is what does it mean in regards to salvation being circumcised on the eighth day? Nothing. What does it mean in regards to salvation of being an Israelite? Nothing. What does it mean? You know, a ritual of a nation is irrelevant when it comes to salvation. I listen to people say, well, you know what? I like your church, but I would rather go to a Messianic congregation. What the heck is that? Well, it it has Jewish believers. And that helps how? I don't understand how that helps. And I'm convinced that my love of my Lord and Savior is, this is a Messianic congregation. I I don't get it. In regards to your salvation being of the tribe of Benjamin. Salvation is not by privilege. Being a Hebrew of Hebrews, it is not by tradition. It does not accomplish anything. Being a Pharisee, it is not by religious observances. Zealous persecutor, you can't even exchange it. The term that he uses here is one of my favorites. <laughs> I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The word there in the original language is skublion. Isn't that fun to say? Skublion. Isn't it a fun word? I just like saying it. Skublion. Now then, you want me to tell you what it means? It's not as much fun to say if you know what it means. Okay? It ain't got nothing to do with trash. Sorry. It is called excrement. Do I need to define? What do you do with excrement? Put it in the trash. Right? Now, he, you, he's very politically correct about it because it has to do with any excrement. But that's what he's saying. He says, all that I had accumulated under the old covenant is scublion, is excrement. It's no different than Isaiah saying, my most righteous deeds are as minstrel cloth. 
That's not something you just want to hang on to, is it? Let's save that. No. What do you do with works of the law? Put it on the garbage dump. To know Christ. It's vile. It's rubbish. It's trash. It's filth. Verse 9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What's the most important thing? Righteousness from God by faith. And it's all encompassing. Paul basically is telling the, the Philippians and you and I this day, I saw what I always wanted, righteousness. A right standing before God. But it was in Christ. And it was by faith. It was not by the law. It was not by works. It, all it works does is pile up trash. Yes, the old covenant has glory. But nothing like the glory of the new covenant. Go back to your text in uh, 2 Corinthians. You see there in verse 10, for indeed, what had glory, okay, that's reference to the old covenant, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. The glory of the new covenant is so massive, it makes the old covenant look like it doesn't even have anything. All of the rituals, all the external, all of the stuff, it's like it doesn't have anything. When you look at the Old Covenant in comparison to the New Covenant, it's as if the Old Covenant has no, no glory whatsoever. The Old Covenant had glory, but when you compare it, it appears that there isn't anything. It's been set aside. It is irrelevant. You don't need the systems. You don't need the pictures. You don't need the types, the rituals and sacrimonies and all that other stuff. You don't need it. We don't need it. Paul is telling you and I, don't you dare accept some Judaistic external ritual religion that don't opt out for some ceremony that just corrupts the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. That's amazing. We should be jumping on this with both feet. Look at the corruption that exists. And to church, I'm not talking about outside of the body of Christ. I'm talking about in the church. We have bought into systems. I know a church that split because they used to pass plates. Okay? And the guy decided that we will have an offering box in the back on the way out. And the church split. Because people wanted to put their money in the plate. What? Are you out of your... Never mind. Why? It was tradition. It was ritual. But that's how we always do it. You know what? There's a part of me that, you know, that quirky part of me, those of you who know me. I want to change up the worship service every Sunday just to throw people off. 
Okay, I don't know whether he's going to sing before the service or after the service or during the service or in the middle of the service or what's he going to do? Why? Because I don't want you to be based on a ritual. You know what? He says he starts at 1145, but I tell you what, if I show up about 1115, 1120, they're done singing. He hasn't started preaching yet. Well, what happens if I start preaching first thing? Boom. You miss the whole message and you come in and they're singing. <laughs> what's up with that? I, but everybody, some people are saying, I think it's sin, Terry. <laughs> I think you're just getting right there to that line and you're going to, what? <laughs> okay, but I get, do you get that? Don't you understand that? I understand that. We get into a system. Well, this is what we're going to do at this time. This is what, you know what? I had people who walked out of this church and said, you know what? You're not a Baptist church. And I said, why is it? You didn't have an altar call. Well, Sorry, you can come up. <laughs> I, I don't do that. If the text calls for it, yes, I don't believe I've ever preached a message in my life that I didn't expect some kind of response. But the response is between you and God. It ain't between me and you. That's the thing that you and I have to pay attention to. I listen to the stuff that goes on in the church today and it just makes me want to pull my hair out. Because I keep thinking... You guys are pastors. Do you never read your Bible? Or at least part of it? Try it. Even go get a, a Jesus movie. I, I, I don't understand some of this stuff. Why? Because we take and we put ritual, ritual and ceremony here. Because you know what? When you look at the moral law. Okay, now uh, I'm going to wrap this thing up. When you look at the moral law. Now, please hear me on this. I'm not talking about you looking at the moral law for your spouse. Okay, because we like to help. Okay, I'm talking about when you look at the moral law, just take the Ten Commandments. When you look at that, tell me you stand innocent. Because if you're guilty of breaking one, the whole thing condemns you. Now, I can get into the specifics of it. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery. I mean, now you're looking at the heart issues and we don't like to do that. So just take the Ten Commandments and look at that one. I know that nobody in here has any idols. But we don't have no idols. Right? So I can mark that off. All right? And every moment of my life, my focus is on God and His will. I got that marked off. Then we start dealing with my neighbor. I don't covet. Adultery. Steal. Oh, there's that honoring my parents. Hmm. They're dead. <laughs> what do you say? I mean, what are you going to do? Take the Ten Commandments and tell me you stand innocent. No. Okay, you know what you do? Same thing Paul fought against. Ritualism, ceremonies, systems. Why? Because I can do those. You know, I can do that. You know, I'll give my 10% or 5% and give me 15 next week. Right? I can do these other things. I'll get up there on Sunday. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll be there on Sunday. Right? Oh, it's too cold. It's too hot. It's too snowy. It's too dry. It's too... It's just too... Don't we? We start filling up the right standing with God with method and systems and ceremonies and rituals and routines. Don't we? You know, 
I listen to people and they, New Year, we have New Year's resolutions. Um, I have the same resolution every year that whatever my resolution is, I promise to break it as quickly as possible. I mean, if you guys want to make up resolutions, go ahead. <laughs> but I, I've been with me long enough to say, yeah, that'll work. Okay? But I want you to think about something. How many times have you promised the Lord, I will walk with you this year, and yet failed? Or maybe you've never even promised Him to walk with Him. Because now you're going to start dealing with the moral law. And he says, I will put it in your heart by my spirit. You got that? Do you know what's amazing about that? They, nobody in this room can do that for you. That's why we like to look at our spouse or coworker and say, I don't think they're saved. Done that before? You know, I look at that, I just don't think it's, it didn't take. They should have held him under under baptism. You ever done that? You know why? What did you see when you looked in the mirror? Did you see the glory of Christ? Or did you see somebody who didn't want to look in the mirror and say, I don't think they're saved? Isn't that the same thing? It's the same thing. You know, I, I want to close because I was thinking about Mary again. And she made a statement to me one time, and, and, and that you know she, she said, "There's times it's just tough to walk with Jesus." I said, "Yeah, that, Amen." There's there's time. You think walking with Him is tough? You ought to be drugged by Him. But anyway, <laughs> I know none of you've ever done that, but uh, I've got rug burns. Um, I remember her telling me that she says, "You know what? My soul is secure." ever thought about that? That's an amazing thought if you really think about it. I have no worries. Do you know that a Christian, a true Christian today is immortal? Right now, I'm not waiting on immortality. I already possess it. Do you know that I can't leave here one second before God says, you're out of here. That's the new covenant. And then people say, well, what happens? Well, it's easy. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's not complicated. And yet I see how many who want to hang on here. For what? You need a little more grief? A little more trial, tribulations? Just getting into it, are you? No, man. Paul told the Philippians, I count it all scublion to know Christ. To know Christ. And this is a man, when it comes to the law, he's pretty good at it. But he also knew that if you broke any part of it, guess what? <laughs> See ya. Okay. I pray that you and I drink deep of the new covenant as every moment of every breath that God gives us so that when we look in a mirror, 
we behold the glory of Jesus Christ as we are being transformed from glory to glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the amazing things you continue to do in our lives. As Father, as we celebrate our sister, Father, may, uh, may it be a time of joy. May it be a time of, uh, of just overwhelming gratitude that you gave us time with her. And Father, to know that she is uh, in your presence now. Um, a place of no sin, a place of no sorrow place where only the glorious radiance of God is there. Father, may that be our desire to know Christ in such a way that when we leave this body, there really isn't that big a change. To your praise, in Christ's name, amen.